Hey, big boxers. Welcome to On the Shelf, a program that is dedicated to helping you get your products into a major big box retailer. Tim here with you. Happy Monday to you all, wherever you're at, if you're on the road or in the kitchen or mowing the lawn. doesn't matter as long as you're listening. Happy to have you with us. We uh, have a fantastic show today. We're going to change it up a little bit. We've never done this before. We have a big boxer, just like you, on the show uh, today. Uh, Tyler Roberts, the owner of Game Time Sidekicks, actually wrote in and had a fantastic idea for a show. And so we invited him on. Hey, why don't you come on and talk about your idea? Tell us a little bit about you and what you're doing and how your business is going. And he agreed. So we had a really fantastic conversation. I think it's going to be um, some information that you guys are going to find really helpful. So I'm excited to introduce uh, Tyler to you. So let's get right into it. Hey, Tyler, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Hey, Tim, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, thanks again for the swag box that you sent over. Some really cool stuff in there. Yeah, sure. Glad you like it. We uh, put a lot of thought and uh, just kind of um, time and energy into those into those promo boxes. So glad you like it. Hey, what is the coding that is on the? Uh, and by the way, big boxers, we're going to get into what we're talking about. But for right now, we're just talking. Um, what's the coding that's on that tumbler? Okay, so you got the. Um, is yours blue? It's blue, yeah, with the Florida Gators okay. F on it. Yeah, that's a that's a powder coating, and so which a powder coating can be applied in a couple different ways, um, and and you really have an opportunity there to kind of separate yourselves from from some lower end powder coating applications but ours is um what we like to consider one of the higher ends and the the finish on it is a is a little textured um so that they they basically just bake that color on there so it's a powder coating to answer your question got it well i'm so glad that you agreed to come on here this is kind of one of our first ever I did not turn my phone off. Um, this is one of our first ever big boxer kind of profiles, and I'm glad that you agreed to do it. Let's start out so that everybody has a frame of reference here. Let's start out and tell everybody kind of who you are and um, in a nutshell what you do. Don't give away any trade secrets or anything like that, but just kind of what you're doing and how you got started and um, and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So my name's Tyler, and uh, we started um, around three to four years ago in the collegiate license business doing um, LED LED products, LED flashlights with uh, collegiate logos on them. So we would go through and um, apply for licenses with the certain universities and um, take that product and, and – sell it on the market with, or, you know, with, on the licensed market with other, uh, licensed products. But, um, and we're very grateful for that line and, um, we, we still have it, uh, to a certain extent now, but, um, about a year ago, actually right at a year ago, we, uh, we got to a point where honestly, we were really just thinking about, um, how to expand the line a little bit, get, get into a little bit more of a sustain, have a product that's a little more widely purchased, um, a little more sustainable. Um, I like to use the analogy, if you if you go into 10 uh, Tennessee volunteer fans' houses, right, and one, maybe two of them would have a 
Tennessee logoed um, LED flashlight, maybe. But all 10 of them would have drinkware. And so we wanted we wanted a product that was purposeful, that was built with quality and purpose in mind, um, but uh, and also sold you know could uh, could appeal to a, a you know a broad range of or a large amount of fans. And so um, that's you know that's kind of how the drinkware um, got started. We have some relationships with our suppliers um, overseas that uh, that really just kind of blossomed and. Um, through some research and development and, you know, all that good stuff on the, on the front end, um, we were able to, uh, you know, to get the licenses for the lines and, um, here we are. We, we started shipping product in April, late April this year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been everything and more, um, that we had hoped, um, the, the feedback, the response, the retailer distribution, um, we're really fortunate and grateful um, so that's kind of where we are up until this point. Wow. That's awesome. That is really awesome. And I have a couple of questions for you, sure. but before I do that, what's the name of your company? Let, let everybody know that. Oh uh, yeah. Game time sidekicks. And they can find game time sidekicks as its own website, which is what game time sidekicks.com. Yes, sir. Game time sidekicks.com. Okay. So one of my biggest questions is is it hard to get a collegiate license um yes <laughs> uh that's kind of, it's a it's a layered response to that some teams are harder than others all the teams that are that you have to have in order to thrive in the collegiate product business are very difficult to get okay um the teams that are what i consider a, a little easier um on the application side um, th- there are those teams as well, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good and bad thing. You know, we, it, it does protect the licensees, you know, th- the difficulty in getting license, um, you know, kind of helps once you're in to keep, you know, just anybody from, from entering the market, but, but it, it does take uh, quite a bit of work on the front end. If you were to, if you were to say, you know, from the point where you actually wanted to get a license and start producing some licensed products to the point where you actually were able to get those licenses, what kind of time frame are people normally looking at? Um, I would say three to four months, at least, um, in terms of develop all the requested info. Um, there's, there's three different licensing agencies and all the, uh, all the collegiate teams fall into one of those, fall under one of those, uh, licensing agencies. All the requested info from those agencies takes a good, um, two to three months to, uh, to accumulate and to put in a form that is, um, that, you know, this is well prepared so you can relay that information well and effectively. Um, it, and then even at that, see, with us, we had the LED product line and we had licenses, but the, you, you were only, um, you only have a license for, for particular product lines. So our license did not include, um, stainless steel drinkware, which is what we do now. And so, although it's not, we didn't exactly have to start from scratch to get stainless steel drinkware approved. We, we did have, it's another another level, I guess you could say, um, to, to ask for an additional product line. So, 
So even that, um, even though we were approved for the majority of the teams that we wanted to do in our stainless steel drinkware line, we still it was still even another step further. So that that took a while, um, but it was, you know, it's uh, it's it almost forces you to do the front end work necessary to have a good product line and a good distribution. And so I can't say that. Um, I can't say that it's a bad thing at all. I'm, we're very fortunate for it. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of tell people, you know, people ask me all the time if, you know, if they're a minority, you know, let's say they're a woman-owned business or they're a minority-owned business, and they ask me, you know, should I go through the hassle of getting certified? And I'll tell them, mm-hmm. absolutely, you should go through the hassle of getting certified. It takes a long time, and it's a big process, and there's a lot of paperwork. But once you do it, then you're in a smaller group of people. And, and you have a little bit uh, uh, more access than you wouldn't have normally had. So I can see that, you know, although it might be a hassle, getting the license is good. I'm sure it was a bummer. Did you know ahead of time that your flashlight license was only good for flashlights and not for anything else? Yeah, we did. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we did know ahead of time. But it's still, um, yeah, there, there was... There was a bit of uh, some some disappointing um, phases in there because honestly, when when we were really confident um, in our in the stainless steel drinkware line before we submitted our applications to all the universities for it, but that doesn't mean they were, and so we were actually um, turned down at first by almost every significant university that we wanted a license for, except for our hometown, um, University of Tennessee, and with the exception of maybe one or two. Um, and so we, we were really fortunate for, for, um, for them to give us a license because what that really does is um, you're able – it, you know, it has a lot of the retail effect there. Once you're in one big box, you can kind of use that leverage towards others. Well, Tennessee um, really helped us out there, and we, we owe a lot to that university because they, they kind of took a chance on um, our idea that we were really confident in, and uh, it kind of persuaded everyone else to. So. Well, take a listen. Yeah, take a listen to that, Big Boxers, because uh, in in the business that we're in, uh, producing products and selling them to retail, you are going to get told no. You are going to get told no a lot. And so, you know, the people that are successful in this business, um, uh, and I think I even did a podcast on this at one point, but the people that are successful in this business understand that it's going to take several no's to get to a yes. And so the faster you can get the no's out of the way to get to the yes, that just uh, is part of the process. So thanks for Tyler for hammering that for hammering sure. that home. Sure. Um, well, great. Listen, the uh, um, you know I had asked uh, people to submit ideas for shows, you know, because we're really trying to build up to a couple of shows a week. Not you know we're not going to get to five shows a week. It just I don't think that that's necessary. But we would definitely like to get to where we can have, uh, you know, a, a show on, on Monday and a show on Wednesday consistently. And, and Tyler wrote in with a, a show, um, possibility. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could get Tyler to come on the show and actually ask those questions and we could have a discussion about the questions that he had rather than just addressing them on, on the show. And so, um, although I had to ask a couple of times, Tyler, uh, agreed to come on and, <laughs> and ask his questions. So we appreciate that. And I also think that anytime we can have somebody on the show 
that can provide a little bit of insight into what they're going through um, in the process of getting their products up and running in retail. It just helps everybody. So I hope everybody is uh, is learning a little bit from Tyler from what you've done. So I appreciate uh, you sharing that. Sure, sure. Let's talk a little bit about your questions, and I think that they related to or around uh, in-store displays. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us a little bit about what you were asking, and and then let's let's talk about it. Yeah, sure. So we're fortunate enough to have a um, what has gotten to be a really large um, distribution. Uh, we're we're in a lot of stores, and so um, obviously we're really excited about that. But I. Has, I'm struggling with the line. Um, where's the line where into which um, it's time to start talking about in-store displays? You know, in the past when we only had when stores either when we either a weren't in a large number of stores or b um, didn't have enough product to justify an in-store display in the in those stores, um, it wasn't much of a decision. But now um, we, we have a, a significant number of retailers ordering enough product from us to justify filling up a whole display, if not, um, and, and, and refilling that display as well. And so this is kind of un- uncharted territory for us, um, because we, we really don't know where, when, it, when is it, uh, necessary or when is it proper to say, okay, let's really, let's really start looking at in-store displays. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of where we're at. We're it's like I said, it's uncharted territory, and so it's not something we've um, had the luxury of really thinking about before. So, uh, so yeah, I just kind of had some questions on um, not only the specifics and the details involved in what retailers look for in a um, uh, in-store display, but also how can you approach that with them? Like, what is what is um, the proper, uh, I guess. Um, way to introduce that to them, um, yeah, and just and that's it's kind of just where where we're at right now as a company. Okay, well, I think it's a fantastic question, and uh, my first, you know, if let's say we were on the phone and uh, you were a client of mine and you had asked this question, the first thing, uh, especially if you were a new client, I would ask you is, you know, what type of stores are you currently in? You don't have to name the names of them. But give us an idea. Are we talking convenience stores? Are we talking big box stores? What type of retailers are you in? Are they nationwide? Are they regional? Um, well, most of them are regional because we are, uh, in a sense, confined to the universities that we are licensed for. Right. And so right now we have, I think it's around 40 or 50 teams, which, which – um, are concentrated either in the eastern United States or the mostly the southeastern United States, and so, so most of our retail chains are located in that um, area as well. But we we are typically in college bookstores or um, mid to high end uh, sports retailers. We're not in um, convenience stores. We're not. We're, we uh, we kind of when we developed the product on the front end, we we kind of had a we knew where we wanted to be, and so since we knew where we wanted to be, that backed us into um, the type of product we're we're producing. And to I guess to answer your question, we're in uh, lots of college bookstores. Um, we're in a couple of chains that have hundred to hundred and fifty stores, uh, higher end sporting goods retailers, and so. 
that's that makes up the majority of of, of our distribution is bookstores and higher end sporting goods. Okay. Well, so what I would say is, you, you know, with regard to in-store displays, it's not always a question of do you want to do it. It's more likely a question of do they want to do it. And uh, sometimes a retailer will push for you to do an in-store display and you simply can't swing it, maybe because of cost or there's not enough margin in the product to accommodate it. Uh There'll be times that you would like to do an in-store display and they nix it because they don't have the room for it or there's other products that are more successful or that are long-time products that are holding down that space. And so my advice would be if you want to do an in-store display, you talk to your buyer about that. And and I would approach it in just this exact way. I would say, hey, listen, um, we have been getting requests from some of our smaller retailers for in-store floor displays for our product. And uh, it got me thinking about you and our product in, in, your, uh, re- in your retail stores. And I wonder, is that also a possibility for our placement with you? Because if we could, you know, obviously, if we're going to start making displays, we would like to optimize the amount of retailers that we put them in, and it brings our costs down. And, and just have a candid conversation. You're in a really good, unique position here. Because you're already in the, in the store, you're already selling, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing quite well in the areas that you're in, and so at, at a point, and this is a point that you love to be in, you become a collaborator with your buyer on how you can grow the line. Because the more you grow the line now with them, the better they look, the better off they are, but sometimes you're going to get constrained by simply the retailer's ability to execute a program like that. Does it make sense? Yes, total sense. Okay. A lot, what, what I learned, and by the way, I grew up uh, my career as, you know, on the floor of big box retailers like Bed Bath & Beyond and Toys R Us and Office Depot. I've been on the front line of executing store floor displays and new displays that come in. And a lot of times you'll have a retailer that simply knows that their ability to execute those is poor. And so they don't, they don't want to do it. Um, um, some buyers simply won't ask you because they don't know whether you have the margin to do it and they don't want you to feel obligated. Uh, and then some will just ask you because that's what they want. But if you want to do it, I definitely would go to your top tier retailers, the ones that are selling your product the best and collaborate with your buyer on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's something um, you know we we definitely will end up doing. One thing uh, to address one part of your uh, response, we we uh, we've been told in in some of our um, I guess the retailers that we're most uh, that we have our best relationships with, and we're I guess you could say the most most proud of um, that we are right now their um, hottest and top selling drinkware line, and so it's it's and we've been told that by a good number of retailers and so it's it's that's kind of what has spark even sparked this is that i know that this may be reciprocated on their end just because of the feedback we've been getting about how you know when you when you walk in a lot of our retailers um we're you know right there when you walk in on the we're displayed with a lot of other things but it's on their like hot items um shelf so yeah we we can uh we'll definitely you know start the conversation with some of our 
our um, more strong relationship uh, retailers and, and see how that goes. We actually work through um, sales reps as well for a lot of our stores. And so um, we, we also have to involve them on some, in some of these conversations since they, a lot of them would be responsible for the upkeep and the, um, to make sure it's, you know, it stays, the display stays, stay full and things like that. But yeah, so that's an interesting twist. And, and before I get into that, uh, in, before I get into the manufacturer's rep thing, uh, I wanted to ask what type of displays did you have in your mind? You know, what type of display are you thinking about? Uh, mainly a floor display. It has uh, four to five shelves that if, you, if you're thinking uh, picture, you know, are, are like the tumbler you have, um, four to five shelves, uh, maybe a front and back to it. That's something that we were probably going to let the retailer decide. Um, but, yes, six-foot-tall standing floor display, um, well, approximately six-foot-tall standing floor display, four to five shelves filled with, uh, with tumblers. So, Is this a corrugated display or a, or a permanent display? It would be a permanent display, um, which thus uh, begs, you know, the question of the the prices and things like that. But but definitely a permanent display. Okay. Hey, big boxers! Just a quick announcement from TLB Consulting. Are you looking to scale your business this year? Are you looking to get your products on the shelf of a retailer this year? Well, guess what? Booking a coaching call with me has never been easier. I know based on the past 10 years of working with clients that it can be difficult to be a solopreneur. It can be difficult to scale your business into territory that you've never been to. That's why I have opened up more slots this year than I've ever done before. One of my goals this year is to work with more clients, more solopreneurs, more big boxers looking to get their products into retail than ever before. I want to work directly with you and share my experiences over the last 25 years of getting products into retail. I want to share those experiences with you. I want to talk to you from a place of somebody who's been there and I want to help you get to where I've gone. Like I said, it's never been easier. All you have to do is go to tlbconsulting.com, click on consulting, and then choose the time or the bundle that you want and get it scheduled. Let's kick off 2020 with a bang. Let's get you the information that you need. I'm looking forward to meeting you. Okay, well, keep in mind... Um, I'm obligated to tell you that keep in mind whenever you've um, put in a permanent display, uh, that display will at times get banged up and you need to make sure you budget for X amount of replacement displays per year. Okay. So, so keep that in mind because the last thing you want is a permanent, you know, maybe it's made a press board or whatever, but a permanent display that's all cracked up because just they may not keep your display in the same place in, in the store as they do floor changes and whatnot. Did, mm -hmm. Am I making sense with that? Yeah, totally. Now, do you think, um, would your recommendation be for permanent displays as opposed to temporary displays just based on the price, the retail price point of the item? 
Um, you know, we're in the 20 to anywhere from 20 to $40 range. And so my initial, the, the reason we just kind of uh, defaulted to permanent displays is I, I did think that corrugated really fit with that, with, with our kind of higher price point, but I could totally be wrong. So, yeah. So good, good question. And I guess I probably should have addressed at the beginning the whole should question, which is should you do a, a, any type of a display, especially because you're already front and center in a lot of your retailers. Are you going to capture more sales or enough sales to um, warrant your own space by having uh, a display? And, and so, yeah. you know, I don't know, which is why I was mentioning – uh, a corrugated display and corrugated displays can look nice and can be, mm-hmm. you know, very in line with the price point of your, of your product. But generally when you do a display like that, uh, it's for a specific reason, you know, so you have a display and you pull it out because that team is, uh, in a bowl game or whatever. And then when that's done, you go back to your rent, you know, so you sell five times as much during that time because it's in its own little area then they toss that display and you go back to your normal spot spot on the shelf. Yeah, Generally yeah. for a buyer, um, it's going to be a lot harder for them and they're going to need a lot more sign off to, uh, uh, to get a permanent display that's, um, you know, that's made of wood and is going to stay in the same place. So just, just keep that in mind. They'd have to, that would, that would take a lot more sign off. I would think than uh, up through probably VP of merchandising. Sure. Um, and well, then, enough, sorry. Uh, real quick, let me comment on your your manufacturer's rep. So, okay, um, you're right. You're going to have to get those guys and gals involved. But for something like this, I would make sh- I would have them set up a call that you can be on, so okay. so that you're there with them and hearing what the retailer is saying on a topic like this. You know, a lot of times a manufacturer's rep, you can simply say, "Hey, you know, can you tell the buyer this, or can you get this information from the buyer?" And they don't need you to be there, and you don't need to be there. Um, but on something like this, if you're actually going to be in a face-to-face meeting or if you're going to be in a phone conversation, I would definitely be part of that. Sure. Yeah, we can. That's definitely some good information. We can we can make that happen. Um, one question I, I did, uh, or uh, I guess kind of a, a bit of information I thought I would throw out there when you were asking about um, regarding the how much the increase of sales or the potential of sales increase from a display like this, um, that would be, that would kind of be icing on the cake for us right now. And I would tell you why, because we, our main focus right now is a, um, well, I wouldn't put on our main focus, a very, um, we have a very concentrated effort in the next few months to increase brand awareness. And it's not so much that we have in mind um, that a sales display is going to, uh, you know, triple our, our sales with certain retailers, that would be great. And it may increase it some, but we, we're really hoping and, um, that it would just kind of let customers know, just kind of increase brand awareness in the store, uh, uh, with a, a display that's, you know, with our, with our brand on it and kind of some, um, some real quick, uh, product info um do you think that uh, if that's our one of our main focus as opposed to just increasing sales with the store do you think uh, a, a re- uh, floor display is still a good option or do you think are there other ways to 
um, increase in-store brand awareness. Yeah, so I would never tell a buyer that the reason you want to put a permanent floor display out there is to increase your brand awareness. Okay. Simply because they don't want to, or it's not their job to forfeit square footage on their floor to help your brand. Sure. So, um, and I know that sounds harsh, but um, I would think if if I were to mention that to a buyer, I would think that they would take a little bit of offense at that simply because their only reason that they would give up square footage on their floor is if they can turn it um, dollar per square foot and make sure. and make more money doing that than they could doing something else. And I'll give you an example. A lot of times people come to us with products for Costco. And, you know, Costco works in a four-by-four-foot space. Everything is on a four-by-four-foot pallet. And I always ask my client, can it sell more than toilet paper? Because... Costco can take a pallet of toilet paper and put it anywhere in the store or the warehouse and sell the heck out of it. And so to ask them to put products on the, you know, on the floor that are going to sell less than toilet paper, they don't want to do it. And, yeah. and that's just my analogy. I mean, of course, Costco, there's a $500, you know, Costco likes to make at least $500 in sales per seven day period of time per four foot by four foot pallet. But for you, I would think internally that brand awareness would be a bonus for you. But to sell Mm -hmm. it to the retailer, it has to be an increase in sales. Sure. Sure. Um, And and I can, yeah, I can totally see that. You know, a lot of this stuff we're, uh, like I said, this is the, this is uncharted territory for us. So we're, we're, we welcome and uh, we welcome all, all, uh, all suggestions and, and, and information. All right. So, you know, recapping a little bit, I think that anytime you can break your brand out and put it together in a collection of its own on any retail floor is going to be a win for you in order for it also to be a win for the retailer. The product generally has to have some current success. So it sounds like, in which it sounds like you guys are in that realm. And I don't think it would be difficult to sell the, the premise to a retail buyer that they are going to benefit big, uh, sales-wise, margin-wise, uh, um, team spirit-wise, by breaking your product out into its own display. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And the collaboration part about it will come around what type of display should it be, where should it go, how long should it be out. Because, uh, like I said, a lot of times you really want to uh, keep your space on the shelf that you have and have your own display, if that makes sense. So if, for instance, it's a big, uh, you know, Tennessee is is doing great and it's a big, uh, like I said, bowl game or something, uh which you may or may not be able to plan for. Um, maybe it's just regular college football season and mm-hmm. where fans buy 20 times more than they would the rest of the year. Which so is you, totally true. Yeah. So you come out with your own uh, display and keep your spot on the shelf as well during uh, college football season. And then when college football season is gone, then your display goes away, but you're still on the shelf so that people can purchase your products and be you know, have their team spirit all all year long. Does that make sense? Total sense. Yeah, definitely helpful. Okay. 
And, uh, and that's kind of how I would sell it to the buyer and get that collaboration. And uh, I think it's a really good idea. But big boxers out there that are thinking maybe of the same thing understand that, you know, uh, Tyler's products are selling well currently. So he has the benefit of being able to go to the buyer in a collaboration spirit of, hey, we're already doing well. Think about, you know, maybe we could do 5X during football season if we did this. And that is the kind of collaboration that buyers want to hear. It used to be that buyers would be thinking of this stuff on their own, but they're busy now. And they can't take every individual product and think about, hey, how can we turn some real sales or when's the best time to turn up the heat on this product? That's kind of our job now. And so it's our job to go to the buyer and say, hey, this is how we want to drive traffic into your place, and this is how we want to drive sales. That's that's definitely some good information because um, – and that was one of our – or my main questions is um, – if we just sat back and never approached our buyers with um, the option of a of a floor display, I don't know. I don't get the impression that they would take that initiative, I, or I didn't get that impression that they would take the initiative. And so I was wondering, well, the, if if the fact that they haven't contacted us in regards to that, does that mean they don't want one? But basically, what you're saying is nowadays that that. That ball is in our court um, when it comes to pushing a, a floor display. That needs to be initiated from our end, which which definitely um, can help shape some uh, some things we do going forward. Yeah, I think that um, I think that the possibility exists for let's say the uh, buyer is having a walk through in that area, and you know some higher up sees those products and says, "Hey, maybe we should pull these out and put them in their own display." That could happen. But it's going to happen way faster, and you're going to be way more a part of it if you make that uh, initiative. And, and like I said, the roadmap to do that is decent sales and being a good vendor and being in good standing. And it sounds like you have all of that uh, in your pocket. So, yeah, if you want to ha- have it happen, yeah, I would, make that, I would make that approach. And like I said, always make it in the spirit of collaboration that it's going to help both parties um but uh but i think that buyers you know are up for that if it's the right time the right place and uh and you guys can come to some sort of an agreement and then of course you're going to pay for all of it yes that was going to be my next um next kind of touching point was up until now we it had been we had planned on making it a free display for the buyer um just based on some conversations we've had with sales reps and conversations we have with a couple of retailers, um, that most of the displays, even temp- temporary or non-temporary, are are free displays. Now, you can obviously, I mean, we we planned on um, accommodating for that with the amount of product required to get the display free, um, but but. Regardless, we had planned on making it a, you know, quote, free display. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think that that's the only way you're going to get it in. Buyers and retailers are not going to pay for this stuff uh, (laughs) themselves. And they're definitely not going to pay for it to be exclusively you. Okay. And so one of the things I would do before is I would take a look at – you know, one of the things we do for our clients is we do a complete pricing strategy across all channels. 
And in there, we have what we call program costs. And sometimes displays uh, come into factor uh, in program costs. And so I would go back to your pricing, get some quotes on these on the types of displays that you might think would be interesting, and then build them into your costs across your whole program. So your whole program for the year, uh, you know, take how many units you sell divided by the amount of displays and cost, and then build that per unit cost into your into your uh, pricing. Mm-hmm. And, and make sure that you can sustain that. Okay. Yeah, that's that's definitely some helpful information. All right. Well, listen, anything else about uh, the displays? I think it uh, was a fantastic question, and, and we kind of got into facets that I didn't even think about when I was thinking about responses on my own. So I'm super glad that you came on the show. Uh, I feel um, hopefully we answered your question, or I answered it anyway, or together oh, we more- answered it. Yes, more than more than answered, um, and and even when I'm when I was, you know, responding to a couple of them, I could I was thinking through um, the implications of of some of the the information you've given us and how that you know how we can you know change some things and kind of solidify our uh, our stance or our options moving forward. So yes, definitely helpful. I very much appreciate it. Well, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening to the podcast and. And coming on, of course, all the people that I talk to on the podcast always have to ask a, a final question. It has nothing to do with what you're doing or, or how. Uh, well, it does have to do with how you're doing it. But I always like, you know, organization is uh, all my life has been a struggle. I've always looked for the best ways to keep myself organized. You're an entrepreneur. You have a bunch of balls in the air all the time. What do you use app wise or folder wise, or how do you keep it all together? <laughs> it changes often because uh, I too find myself struggling for that uh, balance of organization, um, whether that means app-wise or, or you know gadget-wise, or do I carry a notebook or just an iPad or things like that. And not only that, I have a hard time using one thing for a long time. So um, it's it's a revolving door. But right now. Um, I, I, the app that I have that I've kind of stumbled upon recently that I really do enjoy that I actually have open right in front of me is Microsoft OneNote. And it is, uh, I have it on an iPad um, Pro, one of the smaller iPad Pros. And when it comes to, you know, daily tasks that I jot down with a, with a, with an Apple Pencil or, you know, checkbook or checkmark um, tasks that we need. Um, it's all right here in Microsoft OneNote, and which is kind of ironic because it's a Microsoft application on a on a uh, <laughs> iPad. But uh, hey, whatever works, man. And uh, right now, that's where I'm at, and that's. But you know, talk to me in two months, it may be different. Do you like your iPad Pro? I love it. I I do, and I've as a Mac as a longtime Mac user, um, I'm starting to feel a little bit of an itch. Maybe not necessarily if I'm starting to see some definite um, benefits of some of the new uh, Microsoft um, uh, things coming out lately. As far as the, uh, I guess it's a Surface Pro, and and there was a, a Surface. Um, a couple, I, I'm not really sure the the terminology, but a couple of things that double as a tablet or a an actual computer. Um, are very interesting to me because we so often have to open Illustrator files or, or what have you. And as far as I know, I'm not able to find a way to do that on my iPad Pro. But, um, yes, as of right now, I'm, I'm full Apple. But 
Yeah. Yeah, me too. And and I have a an iPad Pro. And the reason I got it was because I spent a lot of time taking my business online. You know, I you know I'm Google everything, Google Docs, Google Forms, Google yeah. Calendar, and uh, pretty much I can run my whole business off of the iPad if I need to. I still have a Mac that um, I I have to use to to do certain things and. Um, and I still have to have actually a PC to run PC, to run UPS World Ship, which you know they won't want to make an app application for that. But um, uh, I do use my my iPad Pro, and I really like it. So I I, wrote, I jotted down the Microsoft OneNote, always looking for a good recommendation. So I'll check that out and good, see good. what it is. I, I appreciate uh, the the recommendation. Listen, any uh, final thoughts? Any final questions? Uh, no, not really. You know, I will say I've, um, I do feel like I've benefited a lot. I've, it's, it's been recent that I've came upon the podcast, but I do feel like, um, I've benefited a lot and it really has helped spur some creativity and some, um, some initiative on, on our end from a business because a lot of us, um, you know, we're a small business and there's not a whole lot of us, um, involved in it. And I'll be honest, we not all of us are super qualified for what we're doing. We're we're very fortunate to be in the positions and to have the things, um, I guess, come come in our laps, if you will. Um, but but we're we're learning and we're we're working hard and trying to to be just open and honest about where we are as a company and what we can improve on and how we can. Uh, take information that's out there and learn from it and um, just be a better team as a brand. And uh, the podcast has really been one of those things that um, has put some language to a lot of the things as a brand that we've been, um, that we've been thinking about and, and honestly just wondering about, had questions about. And so, uh, so it's information like that, that as a small business that, um, that is looking for ways to improve itself has, it's been really instrumental and we're very grateful for, uh, for, for things like the podcast. So we, we very much appreciate it. Well, man, listen, thanks for the kind words. I, uh, I appreciate it. And, uh, and great sentiments really on, on where you're at and congratulations on all your success. Uh, we, uh, like I said, we appreciate you as a listener. We appreciate your business and, and how you guys are uh, planning on growing it. So listen, good luck to you in the future. And uh, um, we hope you keep listening. Yeah, thanks, Sam. All right, take care. Bye-bye. That's it, Big Boxers. That was a fantastic conversation, don't you think? I learned a ton, and uh, hopefully Tyler uh, picked up some information that he was needing, and hopefully you guys learned some information on uh, in-store displays that could be helpful for you guys going forward. If you're liking the podcast, please let some people know. Share it on Facebook. Share it on social uh, if you want to reach out to us, if you have a question, just like Tyler did, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at TLB Consult or on Facebook at TLB Consulting, or you can reach us uh, by email through our website, tlbconsulting.com. Again, the show is for you, and uh, we are happy to answer some questions today. Looking forward to many more questions and having some more big boxer profiles on the show. Until next time, we look forward to seeing your products on the show. Thank you.